Welcome in. It's the Mostly Magic Podcast. Jake Chapman here with you. We are less than a week away from the NBA Draft. Your Orlando Magic top pick in the draft. And today, a deep dive into Duke big man Paolo Banquero. Big man, little man, forward, center, guard. I don't even know what the guy is. He's a freak is what he is. He's 6'10", 250 pounds, 19 and a half years old, freshman uh, from Seattle, Washington. 17 points a game, shot 32.5% from three, 7.7 rebounds. 3.1 assists, a very unique um, seasoned prospect. Um, he's a huge, huge guard, basically. And I've seen comparisons to Jason Tatum. I kind of see Paul Pierce a little bit, maybe a little bit bigger of a Paul Pierce type guy. He can create off the dribble. Um, time and time again, all season long, he rose to the occasion for the Duke Blue Devils. Um you know, I've heard Chris Webber, Julius Randle comparisons. He's a forward. He is a power forward type body, maybe even a center, um, but very comfortable with the ball in his hands. Breaking guys down off the dribble, hitting spot up triples and long twos, but definitely finishing, using that frame and finishing at the rack. Um, a very, very interesting prospect. And this week we spoke with Emil Jefferson, former Magic uh uh, forward and big man, also with the Lakeland Magic, now an assistant coach for the Duke Blue Devils, of course, played under Coach K, uh, and now under Coach John Shire, and he's been with the program for about a year. His playing career ended about a year ago. Um, he was working in player development under Coach K in his final season, and now an assistant coach. So, Emil, um, the world is his oyster. This guy is going to be a head coach or a general manager or something like that sooner than later, but it was great to catch up with Emil. We also spoke with Steve Wiseman, who does a phenomenal job covering Duke basketball uh, for the Herald Sun in Durham. He's been doing it for a long time. Steven uh, does a phenomenal job as well. We'll start with Emil Jefferson, my chat with Emil about prospect Paolo Banquero. And welcome back. It's the Mostly Magic Podcast. Jake Chapman here with you. The Paolo pod continues. Emil Jefferson joins me today. We're going to talk a little Paolo Boncaro, a little Duke basketball, a little fantasy basketball that we were just talking about, uh, fantasy camp basketball we were just talking about offline. And Emil, the time with, uh, with the Magic organization uh, in the G League as well with Lakeland, uh, national champion, of course, at Duke. And then you were what the the executive director of player development for like less than a year, and then you got promoted already. Uh, I believe it was at the end of April, assistant coach. So a congratulations. B, how do I get on that sort of time frame, Emil? I mean, it, it took you less than a year to become an assistant coach. Uh, that's pretty awesome. Thanks for joining me, man. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Um, excited, you know, to be here um, and to be able to talk to you. Uh, really enjoyed my time in Orlando. Love everyone there. Um, so anytime I can come on, be helpful. Uh, love it. Yeah, absolutely. We appreciate it. George and Dante say hello, uh, by the way. And um, uh, so explain to me this, this fantasy camp thing. You, because I saw you, you got stuff on your, on your timeline. I mean, you're pacing the sidelines like you're like you're coaching in the ACC tournament or something like that. Uh, just, just walk me through briefly what, what that's all about. Yeah, so <clears throat> K Academy is definitely – you know, one of the, you know, greatest events in college sports to me uh, that is not actually played by college players. Right. <laughs> um, so it's our fantasy camp uh, that we do once a year. And basically, you know, you get to see what it's like to be a Duke basketball player for a week. Um, we start off the uh, first day. We have evaluation games. Um, the minimum age required is, I believe, 35. So you have to be at least 35 to participate. We watch them play, you know, for, for an hour and a half or so. This year it was three on three. So we watch, you know, we get about 105, 110 campers. Uh, 
and we watch them play. And then they're actually drafted by us, the former players. So the former players are the coaches um, and we, we draft them. And then the whole week uh, we do events, we play games every day. And then, you know, championship Sunday, you play for a championship in Cameron. And, you know, we, we have a ton of people that are lifelong Duke fans. Some people just have heard about the camp who have joined. Some people who know about Coach K, his the love for him. Um, but everyone comes from various backgrounds, industries. But the the week is just all about Duke basketball. And it, it they get into it. It gets intense. So sure. if you do of me, um, I'm really into it at that point. Uh, it paid off. We won the championship, which was really cool. Um, so, you know, shout out to Team Denver and all my guys uh, that I had this week. They were amazing to coach. Now, you know, I got to make the joke. We're, we're not dealing with the transfer portal in the in the K camp, are we? That's, that's, that's not, come come Friday, come Friday. You got free agents and stuff. No, is that how it works? <laughs> not, not yet. We haven't gotten that deep yet. It's only a week, so hopefully, we don't have guys ready to transfer in, in that amount of time. But you said offline, and and I don't even know if we should put this out there. You said it's a reality show waiting to happen. That sounds like I, I would watch that. I know. I, first off, I would love to do it. I can't imagine just play, I've never been to Cameron, let alone playing basketball on that floor. That's got to be worth every penny and worth every second. Uh, but 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 the I, I got to think there's some between the coaches, between you and your, and your colleagues. I got to think that's uh, that, that could be a pretty, uh, I would say, eventful week or something like that. Oh, I mean, it's great A content. I mean, yeah. if you were a fly on the wall or a spectator coming to watch and you get to see how intense it gets, you know, it, I'm talking about these are big time people, people who are superstars in their industries, yeah. whether it's finance or medicine. But, you know, when they come here, they're basketball players and they get into it and, you know, all the, the drama and, you know, the wanting to win and the game preparation, the film, uh, learning each other. Uh, it's uh, it's pretty special and pretty funny uh, to, to watch part that of. That sounds like a really cool experience. Take me through, if you would, the, the last year of your life. I mean, it's been a crazy year on campus. Obviously, Coach K moving on, Coach Shire moving in. You guys had the deep run. Um, and you, like I said, I mean, you're basically what? Your playing career ended, your coaching career began, and now you're an assistant coach. It's pretty awesome. Yeah. And like you said, it happened pretty quick. I mean, a year ago today, I was still, you know, working out, training, trying to figure out where I would be um, two months from now, whether it would be, you know, would I, you know, try to go to someone's training camp again, would I go straight overseas? But um, I had no idea. I, I, even a year ago today, I wasn't back at Duke. Um, so it happened fast. And, you know, when Coach Shire got the job, and he called me and I, I got to talking to him and Coach K and they, they, they started, you know, asking me, you know, would that be something I would want to do, come back and learn what it means to be a coach? Um, it, it just felt like a, a great time to pivot. It was a, a really cool time to me in history to be able to see um, this type of succession, to see a plan that has been mapped out where coach knew it would be his last year and to see John stepping into his first year. So you basically, I basically was going to have two head coaches and I'm like, what, what a better time. There isn't a better time to pivot. You know um, of course I was still in shape. I had a, a really good career. I, I finished out my season um, in Istanbul, had a really good season, but it just felt like a, something that you don't pass up. And, you know, at the time I'm 27 and I'm like, you know, if I hate it, you know, I'll be 28 next year. I'll, I'll go back and play. Yeah. Yeah. You know? 
And but I'm like, I can't I can't pass this up. And so I came down and I met the guys. And the first day I met the guys, I'm like, this is a pretty cool group. And in 2015, you know, I was a part of a team that won Coach K's last national championship. And I'm like, wait, this team has a has a chance to win number six for them. Mm. Like, I believe that. I want to help these guys. I want to see, you know, where we can take this. And then I get to learn from Coach K and Coach Shire every day and the staff that they put together. And so for me, I was like, this is a no-brainer. Like, I have to I have to see this through um, and see where it takes me. And, you know, I, I learned a ton. You know, needless to say, we had an amazing team. Uh, you know, I think the most talented team in college basketball. Uh, we went to a Final Four. We didn't win it all, but we were a team deserving of winning. Um, and, you know, the, every year, there, I, I would say there are about five or six teams deserving of winning a national championship. And only one can do it. And, you know, I happened to be Kansas, but, you know, we had an amazing group. And not only did I have a ton of fun, but I learned a lot. And I think it helped transition me into now um, being an assistant coach here at, at Duke, a place that I love and, you know, have grown so much. So a pretty cool year for me. And, and timing is everything, isn't it? I mean, I don't care. It, it's just like you said, there is absolutely there. It's unprecedented, Emil, in, in the history of basketball, I think, to have an opportunity like this. Maybe maybe when Roy took over in North Carolina, but to yeah. have an opportunity. And that was different, too, because it wasn't the succession plan. I mean, you are on this sort of ground level of something that has never really been done before. And it's going to be just such a great opportunity for you. Prove positive, you know, within less than a year, you became an assistant. Yes, yes. And, you know, <laughs> For, for us, you know, uh, the goal is, is not the same. You know, we're going to be stubborn about the goal and it's always to, to win a national championship. But, you know, we're going to take we're, we're all from Coach K's tree. Yeah. And we're going to take what we learn from him. But, you know, the, the method will be different now. Um, you know, uh, it'll it'll be a, it's a new era, which is, is kind of cool to be able to you know be a part of it and now see what Coach Shire and what our staff will be able to do with the group we have coming in. One more question about Coach K and about and about you and where you are right now. What does he mean to you? What I mean, obviously that you're not where you are without him. But just as a man, and and what has he taught you? What are a couple of things when you think of like you know, 15 years from now, this is going to be the first thing I think of when somebody says, "What did what did Coach K teach you?" Yeah, I mean, you know, I he's an integral part of my life. You know, uh, I spent so much time with him and to have been a player and then also be on his staff is really cool. I think one of the biggest things is, you know, to be in the moment uh, and to, to cherish the moment that you have, you know, with, with each group. And I thought coach K was so cool about, you know, no matter how much he's won about being in that moment with that group, because he understands that it's finite yep. and, that each group has to write its own, you know, book. And at the end of the season, that's over. And now you have, no matter how good you do, no matter what happens, that group will never be the same as the group next year. You can bring everybody back. It's still not the same. Um, and so coach was always great about adjusting and, and getting ready for a new season and being adaptable. So for me, you know, his sacrifice, of course, his work ethic, um, but, you know, being in the moment is something I'm always going to take from him and, you know, think about all those times when I just saw him. He was so immersed in, in what we were doing uh, right now yeah. in the hearing, not what he's accomplished, not what he's done before, you know, not looking too far ahead, but being right here. And so uh, that's something that I'm, I'm trying to do every day, you know, get better every day, wake up every day, you know, you know, get a learn 
little more, um, but be with this group. And that's how you, that's how you win big. That's good stuff. I, I told Steve Wiseman yesterday, can we convince him to just come and fi- be the commissioner and just come and fix NIL? I mean, I, if, if there's anybody I'd try, cause, cause coach Hay let off on it over the weekend. He, uh, he, he, he had a few things to say. And of course he's right about just about everything. And I, I realize he's enjoying retirement and he's got a new dog and he's got 10 grandkids and all this good stuff. Um, but I think we need somebody as smart as him to come fix uh, this situation, but that's probably a conversation for another podcast. Um, <laughs> For tell sure. me about Paulo. Tell me about your your initial impressions when you when you saw him. I'm sure you had heard of him or were aware of him before you got in the gym with him. But um, is he as physically imposing as he looks on television when you when you step in the gym with him? I mean, the first time I saw Paulo, I I almost couldn't believe that you know he was the, the size. You know, you 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 hear I heard about him and you know, being a really good high school player, and then when he committed to Duke, you know that he was this you know. 6'10", you know, special guy who could handle it, has skills. But then when you see him and you realize that, you know, he's more like 6'11", and more like, you know, 250 plus. Yeah. And I mean, big, you know, stature, tree trunk legs, um, just an amazing frame. You're like, no way this guy is going to be as agile as they say when you first see him. You're like, you know, he's he, he would be one of the biggest centers out here. So it's, it's no way that, you know, you, you guys, are, he's going to be as, as agile and move as freely as you got. It, it just wouldn't make sense. The math wouldn't add up. And then you watch him play. And I mean, it's all true. He's a freak, you know, his ability to handle the ball, handle pass his feel um, at that size. It just doesn't happen. Uh, I, I was talking to somebody a while ago and I'm like, you know, when, when you play 2k, you give your guy, you max out on height, you max out on how big they are, and then you give them a jump shot and handles and feel and pass. And he's like that, almost like that created type of player, you know, where he has all the tools and the size. And you're like, you, you don't see this. Um, but, you know, just, you know, a freak even for the new age. The right. new age where you have, you know, guys that can do all those things. But he's an anomaly in the new age, which is uh, pretty special. And then, you know, when you when you see him play and, and he starts to impose his will, you're like, wow, this dude is is really a, a special talent to be so young. To be that f- physically imposing and that's both size and stature, like I said, but also, you know, athleticism. I mean, he, he can do a lot of things with the basketball, do things without the basketball to see that. And of course, he was he was so damn good um, in college basketball. <laughs> obviously you get to the next level and you're not quite as physically imposing. There are a whole bunch of six eleven dudes, not, not many, not many like him, but it's going to be, that's going to be the step up. And I think that's kind of the hang up that some people have as far as him as a prospect. And it's the same thing with basically anybody coming out the translation of, okay, now everybody is sort of on my level physically, or at least a lot closer. So where, so, so what kind of, you know, uh, transfer process and transition do I need to make? How do you see that working out? What do you think in the first couple of years are going to be the keys to success for him um, to sort of make that translate to that next level? Yeah, I I think, you know, like, like most guys coming to that next level, being able to, you know, adjust, you know, the speed, the physicality, the pace. I think he's going to be able to do a good job with that because he he is a a really physical guy and he has the skills to do that. Shooting is going to be a a big thing, which, you know, he he can, he can hit. And, And then just, you know, 
learning how to be a star. Um, you know, I think whatever team he goes to, uh, they'll need him right away. Yeah. And I think the cool, cool thing is that he has a, a pro ready skill and game. So for him, j- just knowing that right away that I have to be a star, um, you know, each year in the NBA, we see young guys, you know, take that step quick. You know, there are a handful every year that just become stars. Um, Wagner for you guys. Um yeah who just get it uh, and it works out. And I think he's a guy that, you know, once he sets his mind to it, it is going to be amazing. And, and it's going to understand like, wow, I can be this good in this league. Are you somebody who thinks that you have to have a certain wiring or personality in order to be a franchise cornerstone, a superstar? I think sometimes guys want it. Sometimes guys don't. I don't know if you, if you have to be wired all the same way. But you have to be accepting of it. And it seems like, you know, everything I've seen with Paul, and we don't know much about these guys, right? Like they're under lock and key. They've got agents and we're doing, you know, private workouts. Um, And those guys, uh, all three of them will be in within the next week and a half or so here into Orlando. And we're going to get a chance to talk to him. I'm really excited to. But boy, he seems like he's got, like, he seems like, put it on my shoulders. I'm ready for it. I want, I want that. Um, Give me all the smoke. A hundred percent. And I think you made a good point. Like you have to be accepting of it. Yeah. Because. Cause it's going to happen no matter what in it. <laughs> it and if you're not ready, you'll, you'll get knocked back. Yeah. Um, and so I think, I think he has been, um, and he understands that. And so I think that's going to be, that's going to really help him because I think he's ready to be a star and this is what he wanted and this is who he wants to be. And he understands that. And so, you know, for him, it's just, he has the confidence, you know, to, to, to be, you know, a star a cornerstone for, for a team, you have to have, you know, a, a certain type of ego. I think when you talk about wiring, you have to be wired to have an ego to know you are that good. And, you know, for me, he knows he's that good. And that doesn't mean you're selfish. That doesn't mean you have to be arrogant or a bad guy. But you do have a, a, a unbelievable belief in yourself and your gifts and that you know that you can make a team better and have an impact right away. I realize it's 2022 and I realize it's Duke, but, but to me, I mean, even just as far as traveling, going cross country for school, you know, to be a Washington kid and go to Durham, like that's, that's a leap that he took. And, you know, I'd probably travel halfway across the world to play for Duke, but, 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 the, <laughs> but, you know, like, I, I think that says a little something about him, doesn't it? No, a hundred percent. And, you know, not only him, but his family, hmm. you know, to, to have that trust and, and coach K and coach Shire and the Duke staff, to know that they're going to give you the tools they have in a short period of time, because, you know, everyone, you know, knew Paulo would be a pro in nine months, you know, whenever, you know, he, he steps on campus from the time that he leaves, but to understand that Duke is a lifelong commitment. And in the, in the eight, nine month period, you're here, they're going to teach you what it means not only to be a pro, but what it means to be a big time player on a big stage. Um, and I think, I think he learned that here. Uh, you know, we, we, we play, he's played in, in front of, you know, 30,000, 70,000, the biggest arenas, the biggest crowds, big time, you know, games on ESPN. This stuff won't be new to him. Um, eyes have been laser focused on him for months now. Uh, he, he knows what it, what it means to step into the limelight. Uh, and so I think Duke has prepared him well, but he's also prepared himself well. So whatever team he gets to, um, is going to have a guy that's ready to have a, a, a impact immediately. Are you a player comp guy? I mean, does he remind you? Is there anybody? Can you do that in your head? 
Tatum you plus know, Pierce with some Dirk and some Giannis. You know, like I don't like the guy is, you know, you know, these guys like nobody looks like Chet Holmgren. And then Jabari is a 6'10". Just, I mean, there, there are three prospects here. And it's kind of interesting because people sort of, I think because there's not one tabbed, you're the guy. I think people are sort of knocking him down a little bit. I'm like, no, he got three guys here. And I think they're all very, very worthy. Um, but I've never seen anybody that looks much like Ted Holmgren. And, and you know, Jabari is a, a very, very interesting, intriguing prospect. And then Paulo is, like we said, physically um it's really tough to sort of to sort of pin him down and i'm sure he didn't he doesn't necessarily want you to he is paulo um but if you had to i you know how do you how do you describe him to somebody who's never seen him play but who knows a lot about past nba players yeah you know i, I think he has an an unbelievable feel for the game at that size and you know It's hard to it's hard to compare him to somebody with, yeah. with his eyes and, and his skill, his shot making. I see a little Pierce. How about a little Paul Pierce? Does that? It, 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 I was going to say if Paul Pierce was, you know, had five more, six more inches and, you know, a, a bigger, a bigger frame. It's scary you know, as hell. <laughs> I, but, you know, you, you would you would have to pick a guard. You would have to pick a bigger guard and say that if this bigger guard was bigger. <laughs> right, a big guard, and then make him into a forward, and, make, and then you and give up. <laughs> a bigger, yeah. So if you could make Paul Pierce, you know, six inches taller, um, and, and have those same skills, ability, feel, I, I think that that would be a good one. Or if you take like a, if you want to take a big, and you take like a, a Paul Millsap, but you give him more guard skills mm. and more, and more shooting, more like he was, you know earlier in his career when he was really moving it, handling it, picking the ball, bringing it full court. Um, if you take a big, you got to give them more guard skills. And if you take a guard, you got to give them that size. Yep. If that makes sense. And and you mash that up and then you, you get Apollo. <laughs> that is, um, that's scary. That, that sounds, that sounds very appealing. All right. So, uh, so what's it got to work on? What is, what's the, um, the one thing you think probably early on there, his coaches are going to say, all right, we got to get better at this. Um, I think, you know, the biggest thing will probably be just making him dominate and take over the games. You know, that's what Steve said yesterday. Steve said early on in the season, he thought he could have been more assertive, which, and, 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 you know, damn well, probably he's probably got in the back of his head, like, I'm the guy. I'm the one who's only going to be on campus for nine months, no matter what. I got to make everybody better. But that, but probably at times he probably didn't even show all he could do because, uh, because he's trying to be a good teammate. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's that's going to be a, a a cool thing for him and for the world to see is that you know he makes he makes his teammates better, and it's going to be cool for everyone to see that. But then it's also going to be times where it's like, give me the ball, you know, get out the way. I can just do things other people can't. And you know him unlocking that at the highest level is is going to be what you were saying. It's going to it's going to turn that that light switch on to where he becomes a star and a cornerstone for a franchise. Last thing I got to ask you about Wendell Carter Jr. We love him down here. He had such a great year last year, um, and he's going to be a part of this thing for a long time. How good can that guy be? I mean, I feel like he's just scratching the surface. Even he's got a whole lot of skills for a guy his size. You talk about Paulo. Uh, this guy, we, we were watching him seven, eight assists last year. He extended, uh, I think he made 73s. I mean, he had a really, really good year, and he, he kind of opened our eyes a little bit. I mean, he, he's a big-time player. And, you know, 
as as great of a player he is, as he is, he's an unbelievable person. Yeah. And I love that Orlando is seeing that. Uh, I was talking with uh, John Hammond and, you know, he was telling me, me, me and him have a great relationship. He was just, you know, speaking so highly of him. And, you know, I would have thought nothing less because as, as great as he is as a player, his skill, his size, his shot blocking, his passing, um, he's an unbelievable human being, comes from a great family. Uh, and so I'm, I was excited when, when he got to Orlando because I knew uh, that everyone would love him there, not only because of how good he is as a player, but as a person. Yeah, he's um he's been a, a breath of fresh air. We it's been we've had a couple of rough years here, but between Franz and the pick this year and Wendell and Jalen, we got we got a nice little core here. Uh, so hopefully brighter days are ahead. Emil, thanks so much for the time, man. This has been fantastic. Congratulations on all of your success. Um, and I got a feeling we're going to be chatting again at some point. Anytime. Uh, this was great. I appreciate you, Jake. There he is, Emil Jefferson. Jake Chapman here with you. It's the Mostly Magic Podcast. We will continue talking Paulo Boncaro here in a little bit. And welcome back. It's the Mostly Magic Podcast. Jake Chapman here with you. The deep dive into Paulo Boncaro continues. And today we're talking to Steve Wiseman. He's covered Duke and ACC basketball since Duke Athletics since 2010. The Durham Herald Sun, Rally News uh, and Observer, uh, and does a phenomenal job. And Steve, I was thinking about it. A couple of years ago, I was working for a radio station in Cleveland, 92.3 The Fan. And I think I booked you for our midday show. Um, and that was the year after LeBron left Cleveland. Um, and it was the year with Zion and RJ and Cam and your job, I have to think over the past couple of years has turned from just being a Duke and ACC coverer and, and, and media guy. You're like a draft guy now because yeah. every year you guys have a, a top five pick. I, how has that sort of changed just as far as the nature of your job and, and what it means now to be covering Duke? Because it is, it's, it, it's a, it's a top three pick. It feels like every year. Yeah, it's it's lottery central, right? Every year they have multiple guys in the lottery just about since like 2014, since Jabari Parker. You know, it used to be you you covered basketball, looking at how's this going to affect the college game, uh, that kind of thing. And now I spend my year, you know, talking to some NBA scouts along the way because it's like, how is this guy going to project at the next level? And so you write you write that way too. You write about like how Paulo impacted Duke this year, how Zion and RJ and Cam Reddish impact Duke that year, but are they going to project to the next level? Like, and like year after those guys, like Vernon Carey and Trey Jones were the, the stars of the, the year after Zion and RJ and they aren't, they weren't top NBA picks. It was very rare. That was one of the rare years Duke didn't have first round picks. So right. as you're watching the season, you're thinking, Oh, this team's pretty good, but they're not, they're not really good. Cause these guys aren't going to be top 10 picks. Um, what a year it's been, right? I mean, it, 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 can you can you pack? I mean, you probably got a book in just in the last 365 days, <laughs> I would think. Um, and and an interesting thing, I wanted to ask you real quick about the article uh, you put out yesterday, Coach K, with some some fiery comments, and and it seems like everybody right now, as far as the NAIL thing and in the transfer portal, um, he made the comments to serious. Was that right, uh, Coach K? Well, about the NCAA and what's about going the, on with about the NIL the structure and of college Emmer, sports. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, um, it was, some of them were in a one-on-one interview with with me that day. Okay, and then I also hung around for his town hall on SiriusXM. So got it. Some some was just with me, and others was on the town hall too. So, but uh, yeah, the stuff he said about um, you know, I you know, we were talking about where the where the world's going to go forward here with college athletics, and he said, oh, we're trying to find common ground and all this. And I said, well, it, I guess it's simple. The status quo is it working? And he said, status quo. There, there is no status quo because. The NCAA has lost all credibility and respect. Like nobody, nobody respects what they're doing. And that's been the case for a while. I think we can all point to that. And uh, 
uh, his point is there's been no leadership. Yeah. And, and that's Mark Ambert, right? I mean, that's what he's saying. But, you know, he said NIL, we started doing it back in the early 90s when guys could go to camps and get paid $500 to make an appearance at a camp. And the NCAA put the end to that and said, no, we can't have that. And so he said, if we would have kept with it at that point, it would, it would have gradually grown to where it is now instead of it was shut down forever. And all of a sudden, Supreme Court and the legislature said, you have to do NIL, have to allow it. And they opened up the floodgates and it's all just the Wild West, right? So his point is we should have been seeing this along the way and it would have been handled better. Yeah. It's, what's he doing right now, Coach K? Is he <laughs> is he just sort of like the grand poobah? Yeah, uh, no, no. He's, I mean, he's not coaching anymore, obviously. Uh, he, he still has the title of an ambassador to Duke. Duke's president. So, yeah. uh, but, but the last couple of months since the season ended, you know, he and his wife have taken some trips like to Vegas and things like that. He's taking some vacation, spending time. He's got 10 grandkids right here in Durham. So had a couple of them graduate from high school last month. So we went to their graduations, a set of twins, you know, that graduated. Uh, he's got a new puppy, <laughs> uh, which we all saw on social media. So uh, trying to train his new puppy coach, his new Labrador. So um, anyway, he's, He's being a 75 year old grandfather mostly, but uh, he still has some charity things he does here in town with his uh, the, 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 the K Academy, which raises money for the Emily Krzyzewski Center, which helps um, uh, underprivileged youth in, in the Durham and the Triangle area uh, with uh, college getting access to college ed- education. So that's he, a big thing for him. He doesn't have any desire to, to, to fix this thing, to take over, to be the, the commissioner know, of NIL yeah. and, and, and the transfer portal. And I, I, I think we could use him. That's for sure. <laughs> I think somebody needs to be in charge. That's his point. He goes, who do we turn to? Somebody needs to be in charge. He says it doesn't want to be here. He doesn't want to do it, but uh, he sure. I mean, you know, he, some people like, isn't he retired? Won't he shut up? I'm like, well, he has more time to think about it now. And you know what else he thinks? He thinks that because he's not coaching Duke anymore, that some of the ideas he's had, people might actually listen to him now because mm. they think before he's just trying to get an edge for his team, which of course you naturally think that, right? Sure. As a coach. But now, I mean, he is an ambassador to Duke, but he's not coaching Duke anymore. So that's his hope is maybe he has some ideas. Obviously, he's been in this business for a long time that that might help. So that's kind of where he's coming from. Yeah, it feels like a register is a little bit different than when Nick Saban says it, right? <laughs> right, right. Because right. he's out of the arena now, you know. Yeah, exactly. he's not trying to recruit the next Jason Tatum or whatever. You know? No, uh, exactly. <laughs> and real quick on that, is there? I mean, I don't. Obviously, there's not an easy fix because it would have been fixed. And I do think the problem started years ago, and the NCAA could have sort of anticipated some of this. But you know, some of this was going to happen no matter what. And it was going to be a transition period. Um, is it going to get worse before it gets better? I mean, it feels like it's just kind of no man's land right now. And um, it's going to take years, I think, of, of rebuilding infrastructure, isn't it, to, to kind of get – there is no status quo. We're not going to get back to where – I mean, this is a brave new world, and we're going to have to sort of chart it as we go, right? Right, right, and that's it. And, and, and again, his point, and I think there's a lot of uh, validity to this, we need to, to look at it from a way we've never looked at it before. Like he, he's pointing to like college football. They have it down to about 130 teams in, in the FBS, right? right? College basketball, one of the allures of March Madness is you got the little guys against the big guys and all that. And he says, well, we still need to find a way to do that, but maybe do it differently. You yeah. know, or maybe think about it as let let women's soccer and volleyball and, and you know, baseball like uh, have their own governing bodies and have basketball have a governing body and football have a governing body. And then they work together on some things like TV and all that, but, but let it be by each individual sport rather than NCAA trying to manage it all yeah, and trying to, trying to manage 
soccer players at Colorado as opposed to, you know, football players at Alabama. Sure. Or something like that. Different neighborhoods. They, they, they live in different neighborhoods. That's yeah. right. They live in different worlds. Um, it was a great job. It was a, it was a really good piece. And, uh, and and you do a phenomenal job covering it. And anytime I can hear Coach Hayes talk about stuff like that. But you're right. He's, I think he's a little bit more uh, loose with it these days. And, and rightfully so. Yeah. Um, anyways, let's talk Paulo. Uh, Paulo Banquero is very, very interesting prospect i did a chet cast uh two weeks ago we, we had three three guys on talking chet holmgren and i'm going to do one for jabari as well obviously the magic with the top pick um just tell me about paulo the kid how um how did he sort of arrive on campus and what's his personality like and then we'll get into the prospect a little bit yeah he's he's a really thoughtful kid and and i say that because you know a lot of times when the guys come in and one and done's I mean, they know they're only going to be in the college game for eight months, right? Sure. Or whatever it is, six months. And and they're kind of drive-bys. And I never got that feeling with him uh, that he, you know, he was here to win, to be part of Coach K's last year, all that kind of stuff. But uh, he, he was a good teammate. And, uh, um, you know, he he, he seemed to, um, you know, sometimes you ask guys questions and you get flip answers or whatever. And he seemed to to be thoughtful about what he was going to say to us and things like that. So I always found it to be a pretty, a pretty good interview and, and how much he, you know, he wanted to help his teammates get better and, and himself get better. So he's that type of kid. Now, as far as his game a little bit, if you want to get into that um, some, uh, he, there were times this year when I thought he could have been more assertive mm. and, you know, he's got, he can pass the ball. He can shoot from the outside. He can, you know, he can score at all three levels, all that kind of stuff. And, and there were times particularly early in the year when he would, defer some and i would think you know you're supposed to be the guy like you, you want to take it in front with it and now eventually he kind of got there like yeah. in the NCAA tournament you saw he was a leading scorer you know every game they played and, and all that and so he was there but uh so i get maybe there's a time for him to get used to to, to being that comfortable in what he's doing because obviously at the nba level like if you're going to be a, a top three pick you got to have an impact. You got to be assertive. You got to be, you know, the guy. You got to be a good teammate. But you got to, when you get your shot to score, you got to do it. So, that's kind of that's kind of the kid. But he, I mean, he's a he's a really he's a terrific kid. I mean, I I, I enjoyed covering him and watching him play and, and talking to him throughout the year. It, it really is twenty twenty two, but it never it never ceases to amaze me that a kid can just go from Seattle to North Carolina and, and just go cross country. I mean, that that says a little something, doesn't it? I mean, obviously it's Duke. I mean, I'd probably go across the world to go to Duke and play basketball. But, <laughs> but still, I think, it, you know, to, to pack up and go. And and I, I think that says something. There's a little bit it, of fearlessness there. It does. That's right. That's a good point. And uh, yeah, because uh, it's a whole different part of the country. Never lived in, you know, different cultures, everything else. Uh, you know, you're you're obviously you come to Duke, you're playing at the top level of college basketball. It's as some guys have said, it's pro basketball at the college level. You're flying on chartered flights and staying in five-star hotels and, sure. you know, all that. But uh, but he could have found that on the West Coast. I mean, let's face it, you know, Gonzaga does that and everybody else does that, you know, you know, uh, uh, Pac-12 schools. Oregon, schools. Sure. Yeah. Of course. Uh, but anyway, yeah, so that does say that, that he wasn't he wasn't fearful of, of going to somewhere else where some kids stay close to home. And I feel like he – in. This might just be because, you know, these kids are 19 and we have such sort of small bits of, of their personalities. But Paula seems very comfortable in his own skin and he seems very comfortable with the idea of being a franchise cornerstone, a superstar player. Um, I, I think he really wants to be the top pick. Of course, everybody does. But do you have that sense? It doesn't feel like the hype or any of this stuff will be too big for him. He's got pretty broad shoulders, doesn't he? He does. And, you know, he he played and started every game for Duke this year. Yeah. And, and that hasn't always been the case with with the one and done. Some guys have had injuries that they've they've Good stepped point. out or you know whatever they've um 
maybe it wasn't a serious injury, but they thought, well, I want to pick my draft status. I don't want to, you know, but, but he was like, oh, no, I'm, I'm going to be here for, you know, ring the bell every game. So, uh, yeah. And he had a terrific game, you know, like uh, the first game they played against Kentucky in the garden. He played well when they played Gonzaga out in Vegas uh, on a big stage. Uh, played really well, played really well in the NCAA tournament. So, yeah, I never got the feeling that any stage was too big for him. And and that's not always the case with college guys. As a prospect, you mentioned being assertive and maybe earlier on, you know, maybe it was just sort of one of those things in the back of his head. He was trying to show that he was able to be, you know, not just a, uh, what a heliocentric type player. You know, he, he wanted to be a good teammate. Um, what are, like what are are there any reservations as far as how his game translates? Because he's so physically imposing, uh, even as an 18, 19 year old in college basketball. And sometimes I wonder, I, I think that's kind of the question that people are asking, is he going to be able to dominate physically at the next level? Of course not, but how much, you know, how, what kind of a transition process will that be like for him? Right. I mean, he's 6'10", 250. And yeah. that was one thing that I thought stuck out. I'm like, dang, he is solidly put together, but, uh, but he, 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 he can, get a rebound and go coast to coast and score that way. I mean, he's, he, so he's good in the open court ball handling. It's not he didn't fumble around with it. You know, he wasn't a great three point shooter this year. I think he was at like 33% for the year in college, which you want to see that better when you get to the next level of the NBA. Yep. But uh, you know, I mentioned Tatum earlier and I'm not comparing the two as far as the way you know, I get, you know, Tatum's Tatum now, right? When Tatum was in college, he shot 34% three mm. point, and he wasn't a great three point shooter, but he was young and a couple of years later now he's shooting, you know, last, last night he went six out of nine or whatever. He's almost a 40% three point shooter from the NBA distance, which is deeper. So I think I, you know, you, you look at the three point shooting in college and say, Oh, he wasn't tremendous. He wasn't a great shooter. I think that'll get better as he gets a little older and gets into a shot and works with shot coaches at NBA level, all that kind of stuff. So that's probably the one area of this game that's not like superior right now. And I think, but it can be, so he can be a franchise player. Uh, he was, he was a pretty good defender. He wasn't, I wouldn't say he was dominant by any stretch, but, but he got the job done defensively. Uh, he played the five, some played the four, some could, could guard on the perimeter a little bit. They asked him to do different things and he did pretty well at it. So, uh, yeah, I, you know, I don't see any big red flags here with this kid at all. No, and the defense thing, I, I always laugh. I mean, people love picking apart. And okay, Chet Holmgren is a, is a, a fairly once in a lifetime defensive prospect. Yeah. But people are picking about Paulo's, uh, picking apart Paulo's defense, and I'm like, he's 19. Like nobody defends when they're 19 years old. And it's funny, um, the Athletic had Eric Musselman about six weeks ago. I don't know if you saw it, um, and he sort of broke down all three of their games, Jabari, Chet, and Paulo, because he played against all three of them and coached against all three of them. Um, and he said Paulo was the one that they had no answer for first and foremost. And then he even answered the, on the defensive end. He said, look, they, they ran zone and we went away from him because they got 6'10", 250. We wanted right. nothing to do with it. Now at the next level, that might be a little bit different, but I would think, I mean, defensively, it, it seems like if you've got that sort of physical skill set and, and athleticism, um, the defense is in there. It's just a matter of, uh, of coaching, bringing it out. Right. Yeah. It's what you're asked to do. And remember Duke had Mark Williams, a seven foot two, center with a 9.9 reach, you know, like uh, guarding the rim. So Paulo could take some chances on things, trying to get steals. If they get past him, you got Mark Williams there to protect the rim. So right. see, it's all different, different sets you're asked in. But I will say one thing about the way he and Williams work together on defense. There was a point in the year when Duke was getting beat uh, on the defensive boards, offense, giving up offensive rebounds for putbacks. Mark Williams was trying to block shots. And he was leaving the rim un, unguarded for rebounds. Mm-hmm. And they asked Paulo, hey, we need you to fill in and be a stronger rebounder at that point. And his rebounding totals kind of shot up 
uh, for that the rest of the season. So they worked together well. And I thought that spoke highly to his IQ, his ability to learn, to adjust on the fly. And when they ask you to do different things, be able to accomplish it to help the team. Comps are always crazy, but do you, is there one? Do you have one or two in mind? Is, is it Tatum? Is that, I mean, obviously the, the body is there. And I just can't figure out exactly what kind of player he's going to be like at the next level because he's such a unique prospect. Really all three of these guys are, but I, I feel like I've seen somebody who looks like Javari Swift before. Um, Paolo is... You know, sometimes I get like Paul Pierce vibes from him. It's yeah, just a, but but I'm not sure. He's a, he's a very unique prospect. Who, does he remind you of anybody? Well, it's because of his size. Like yeah, see, like Tatum was six eight, you know, two ten or whatever, right? And we're talking six ten two fifty, right? But he does all the same things like that Tatum does. He shoots well and you know all that stuff. So um, just from you know watching, I watched you know cover Tatum's career here, and I tried to cover Apollo's, and it's kind of the same way. Like you can't, like he's not Zion. Zion was a, a unique thing. Like you know his. His ability, and but but I will say, Paulo moves better with his size, and seems like he'll handle his size going forward. You know, I Zion's had his trouble right <laughs> with injuries, and and again, Paulo didn't have any any problems this year with 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 that. So um, I I can't really compare those two because they're just different. They're different that way. So yeah, I'm having a hard time too because he's there's really nobody six ten two fifty that does what he does. It's bizarre. It is, and and I do wonder. You know, a lot of times we get carried away with fit and, and, you know, where would be a good spot? Who should, who should be sitting next to, who should be playing next to him? A lot of people are mocking him to Houston and the idea um, of him and Jalen green, I think makes a whole lot of sense. Is there, do you think he needs a, a, if we're doing it on the defensive end, does he need a Mark Williams next to him? Is that something where defensively you're going to want to try to hide him a little bit early on? Is there a fit? Do you think like, I don't even know if he's a three, if he's a four, I, I have no idea what you would do with him. But do you have sort of a prototype about what a front line with him in it would look like uh, at its best? Yeah, I think I think he projects as a four, like a classic, like in college, it's a stretch four, right? right. I think that's what he that's what he is because if he's if he's a four on offense, you know, and somebody bigger is on him, he can blow past him, like yep. you know, he's hard for him. and uh, he's got the size to go inside and do some things. But but I think he needs. Um, he needs a pretty good point guard with him. I mean, mm-hmm. I think he can create his own shots and all that, but he's better when he has the ability to sometimes post up, make plays that way. Uh, somebody can get, get him the ball in situations like that. Uh, Cause that's what, that's what happened again as Duke season went on. He became, I think Eric Musselman, that's one of the things he's talking about. They had no answers for him. They got the ball inside to him some too. And they, they just couldn't, they couldn't guard it. It's Arkansas for, I mean, there's yeah. some pros down there. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. That was actually an easier game for Duke than Texas tech was the round before, which is, you know, who would think that, but that's, that's what it was because of the matchups. They, they had no, no matchup for him. And um, so, yeah, that's, that's kind of where it is. Um, you know, I think he can, he can play with a bigger guy. I mean, he played the five summit Duke. I don't think he projects as a five at the NBA. No, I don't think so either. So he's going to need some, another big guy with him. I'm not going to, if I, I, I don't want him begging around. I'm going to try to preserve him a little bit. I'm going to put him next to, you know, Wendell Carter Jr. or somebody like that. It's somebody who's going to, who's going to take, absorb a little bit more of the, um, of the punishment. It, it is funny that now that you mentioned it, I'm trying to picture him running pick and roll and what that would look like. Would he have the ball in his hands? Would he, it, would he be a screen setter and a popper? I think he's probably going to play off ball and be able to do a whole lot of different things, but you know, Jason Tatum now can do just about everything with the ball in right. his hands. And I think he's probably expected to do that, but I'm wondering what it's, what it's going to look like um, primarily early on in his career. Yeah. The pick and pop may be good for him early. Yeah. You know uh, he, he did, 
you know, he sat pecks at Duke some, um, and so he does have that ability and that may be a way to get him kind of getting kind of into things. Right. Yeah. Because, um, you know, asking him to, to, to come off the pick and roll as, as a ball handler, which he can do, or, but if he's, if he's a screen setter and then coming off it, like he's, I saw him do a little bit of that this year at Duke and with, with some success. So, cause he can get the ball inside and then make moves to other guys in his size. Yeah. Play. Then he can run that elbow stuff. You can get him on short rolls and things like that. I think that's probably mm-hmm. going to be ideally what you're doing with him at first. I think probably just getting out and running. I mean, the whole one man fast break, uh, that's probably going to be an easy um, uh, piece of his offense. And then if he can rebound, if he can get you junk points with six ten two fifty, 250, now you're talking about an extra six, eight points a game. If he's going to grab, six, seven rebounds and boom, you're talking about, you know, 15 to 18 points a game, probably and pretty, pretty efficiently early on. I'm sure that's what everybody's looking for. That's a quality lottery pick in the first year, isn't it? If you're doing Absolutely. that, <laughs> I think everybody Absolutely. would take that. <laughs> if you get to that point, uh, before I let you go, tell me about Mark Williams. He's uh, he, he, he seems like uh, he's, he's shooting up draft boards. He is. I mean, he, he tested so well at the combine and with his, with his measurables. I mean, he was just, you know, his body fat was down to like 4%, which, you know, for a guy of his size is really, really strong. And um, he, you know, I, I've known Mark for a long time. His sister played at Duke. She's in the WNBA now, Elizabeth Williams. Um, she was an all American center at Duke. Her numbers retired. She graduated in 2015. So I, I covered her career and he was kind of a little brother along the way. And then, then he came to Duke. So I've known him for a long time. And, uh, you know, they're really, you know, his family is very highly educated. And so I mean, he's a very smart kid. And uh, 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 one thing this year he had to learn to do was speak a little more because he on the court, I'm talking about, he mm-hmm. um, had to be a little more assertive that way. He's kind of quiet, but uh, his game isn't quiet. I mean, he he's a rim runner. He's a rim protector. Uh, you know, he got a lot of his points on dunks this year, of course. But I mean, hey, six, seven, seven, two, you're going to get that. Yep. Um, he doesn't have a great outside shooting game. That's not he's not a three point shooter by any stretch. But, uh, um, you know, he could he's, he's going to be ready defensively from day one in the NBA uh, and he'll be able to to get I don't think he will be a starter from day one. OK, he might be a reserve center, come in, spell the big guy, you know, run the court that way. Uh, but uh, he's going to be a quality NBA player for a long time with his size and his his work ethic and his, and his IQ. You get out of the lottery and, and people just want to come fill a role, come do so, one thing yeah. very, very well. And uh, and you'll have a spot in this league for a very long time. Steve, this has been great. I really appreciate the time. Um, best of luck. I'm sure you're slammed this time of year, but actually uh, hopefully you're able to get a little time off and, and maybe we can do it again uh, down the road. Glad to do it, Jake. Uh, thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Absolutely. There he is, Steve Wiseman. The Rally News and Observer covers Duke basketball. Has done it for uh, many years at a very high level. It's since 2010, Duke Athletics. And a big thanks, of course, to both Emil and Steve Wiseman. Uh, great catching up with Emil Jefferson and Steve Wiseman. Um, probably no better resource for Duke basketball if you want to talk to somebody who covers the team and does a great job. He's been following them for years. It's Jake Chapman, OM on Twitter, getting jacked up for draft night. It's coming next Thursday, of course. Uh, we'll be at Amway Center beginning at 7 o'clock. A draft party tickets are free. Just head to OrlandoMagic.com. Check out how you can join us, and we'll be on the air also from 7 till about 10 o'clock on 96.9 The Game, our annual draft show. Dante Marcatelli, yours truly. David Steele, Bo Outlaw, the team this year, as we find out who will be the number one pick for your Orlando Magic in the 2023 NBA Draft. We've got the Jabari Smith Jr. podcast coming shortly as well. Keep an eye out for that. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks so much, everybody.